Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. So Beverly, how are you doing? I am doing great. It seems like so long since I've seen you. I think that's because I went where no Wi-Fi lives for what (laughs) felt like a hundred years and also only an hour because I was on my very first sewing retreat organized by um, a a sewing group guild. um, And that's Top Stitch Atlanta. Their Instagram handle is Top Stitch ATL. And Lee, um, who owns that property, um, created a, a sewing retreat, her, her first one that she's fully organized, and, and I got to go, and it was so amazing. So how many people were there? So there were about 20 of us, including the chefs and the instructors, um, and there was a concentrated class on jeans making, which I think about five people took. And got through the weekend either having completed their jeans or having a very clear path to the last steps for finishing their jeans. And then there were 12 or 14 of us who were doing free sew activities. So we just had um, a really neat setup. So let me let me sort of describe the situation here. We went to, this was held at a property called Sugar Boo Farms in Georgia, in the mountains outside of Blairsville, Georgia, which is sort of north. I'm going to go with West, but it could be East. I don't know. North, North Georgia. If it's somewhere <laughs> there. And it's about two and a half hours away from my, where I was in Asheville when I headed out to go um, on this event. And the last hour of it, there's no cell service of any sort um, at all. And then you wind your way finally up and into this place and you park And the first thing you come to is sort of a barn-like structure, but that has, you know, appropriate walls and windows and doors so that it's sealed against the elements. There's air conditioning and stuff. And inside of that barn, there was a very long table for dining and a little room that ended up being a nap room because it was kind of dark and had sofas that were comfy to sleep on. And then the, the commercial kitchen. And then outside the other end of that building was the stone patio with a fire pit and outdoor griddles and other things. So like commercial kitcheny outdoor stuff and a, a large um, oven chimney thing. Um, and then one level down from that, you'd go down some stairs. There was um, a grassy area. I think it was fake grass, but I don't know, with a giant outdoor movie screen. And so you could play films outside and a little seating area with couches and chairs and hammocks that was under a cover. Then you go down some more stairs and there's a swimming pool and a hot tub. Nice. So that's just sort of the main lodgy area. Now, when you were up where the dining was, if you went out one of the doors, you walked across the little road that was just intended for bringing, you know, like, food into the kitchen and stuff, just a tiny little road. You walked across that road and there was a large pavilion that was covered, but had no walls, just covered and fenced in, you know, like, so there was a little shelf at elbow height all the way around it, except for the openings. And, um, and that's where we sewed. We, a bunch of indoor, outdoor tables were set up out there on the concrete 
And we would bring our sewing machines out every morning. And every night when you finished, you carried them in and leaned them up against the walls in the in the indoor barn so, space. So did you bring your big machine? I did not. Oh, good. I did not. I had okay. a um I had a, a different machine that I brought with me. I right, brought a yeah. Janome something or another. Okay. Um and and I'd never used it before. So there was a lot of learning curve because on my machine, I don't have to pull up the bobbin thread. I don't have to pull it yeah. behind it. It just kind of does its thing. Mm-hmm. On this machine, you totally had to pull up the bobbin thread. Oh you, yeah. You had to like pull them behind you to make sure they were all where they belonged when you started. And so it was, it was, yeah, there was a learning curve is what I'm saying. But, but we set up on those tables outside and sewed our whole day away with people taking breaks where they needed to for hot tubbing or naps or snacks. Lee had hired chefs who came and cooked all of our meals, which three meals a day, plus two snacks a day and a dessert usually. So that was, and and it was all strange and amazing. So <laughs> lots of stuff I'd never had before, but all of it was just delicious. And they paid very close attention to the different dietary restrictions and so on. But it was not uncommon to hear at this event, people say things like, yeah, I'm going to the next one, but you have to bring Chef Stella. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, so it was definitely just... Well, that's great. Truly wonderful. There were supposed to be a number of demonstrations of things like, I want to say, buttonholes or other things. Um, but something didn't quite click with those. Some people weren't able to come and um, there might've been COVID might've been other things. I don't know, but we did have um, a dyer come and do a natural dyeing class. Oh, and so, so every, everybody who wanted to participate in that was able to, and there were multiple types of natural dye that were demonstrated. Well, what um, did you do? It was a delight. I, I finished up the project I was working on instead of taking the class. Oh my God, you're in big trouble from Mich- with Michelle. I know, <laughs> I'm the worst, but, but I did get convinced that it would be possible to actually do natural dye. Okay, good. Um, and I, I figured out what my project's going to be, and I've talked to a friend of mine who comes and does t-shirts with me. And suggested she start saving her red onion skins so we can, and yellow onion skins so we can do some onion dyeing. Cool. So I do have a plan Good. because that you can warden with soy milk. Oh, and soy okay. milk feels accessible. It's right yeah. at the grocery store. So, <laughs> yeah. So I've got a whole plan for that. But well, was, I guess that really means wonderful. that you have made a lot of stuff. I made some stuff. I made ten items total. Oh my um, gosh. How in how many days? Well, we arrived Wednesday night, so I'm going to say three days for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Wow! Um, and I made one on my before I went down. I made uh, a dress that's coming up for expansion soon, and as soon as it's announced, I can share that dress. But they're getting a size expansion. It's by a favorite designer of mine. I'm so excited, and I made it out yes. of a beautiful linen, um, and I'm really, really happy with it. Um, so I made a dress to wear to it, which I was really pleased with. And then when I got there, I just sort of started, sort of, I started going through all the things I had pre-cut before I went. Oh, I that's had, awesome. I know, right? I had pre-cut an Olivia by Style Arc, which is a. What does that one look like? That one is, um, a grown on sleeve, elastic waist ah. dress. So okay. it's not super blousin. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's supposed to be a little more blousin than it came out on me, but okay. that's probably partly because I made the decision not to wildly scale out from my bust measurement through my hips because it was already a little loose and I thought this will work. And it is, it's really cute. I can sit in it comfortably. I don't think it's exactly the look that was intended, but it's the look I wanted. And I it made sounds that like it would of, make a good um, swimwear cover up. Oh, I'm sure it would, especially if I'd made it out of something like a crinkle gauze or, yes. or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I made the Kinnaton dress by Cashmerat. That's the one they've got uh, for their club this month. And that's the one that's done. Um, the front bodice and back bodice are two pieces each. And the skirts are two pieces each. And I chose to do it all in turquoise on one side. Oh, yeah. On the other. Oh, and those two colors look so good together. They really do. And I I used a pin and careful basting before sewing my front seams so that I could match. And on the front front, it's exactly to the thread matched. On the back, I was off by like two threads in the fabric. And I decided not to pull it out because if you can see that you're doing something inappropriate. Yeah. Um, so, How could you even tell that? Like, Well, when I, when you have it lying out flat on the table and you look at it, you're like, oh, if I'd been over by two more threads, this would be exactly matched. Do you know what I mean? But they're you can solid. See the weave. Well, you can see the weave of the gold and the blue. I see. And I see. where it's me- meeting up, you're like, oh man, there are two gold threads here that should be blue. So I should have scooted over a little more. I was so close, but I decided not to fix it, which is very on brand for me. Yeah. Well, then, I, <laughs> I'm sure no one would see it. <laughs> and then another one I already had cut out was the saguaro top by Friday Pattern Company, Ooh, which yeah. I made out of um, out of the uh, what do you call those birds? The puffins where I had made um, a Chris Woods. I think I made a Chris Woods uh, and a parasol dress out of it previously. Mm because it had the high thing and I did black above and the puffins below. Well, now I've made a saguaro jacket, which I can wear over that dress. Ah. So I'll have the little black peek through and have the jacket over it. I did choose poorly on the sizing. Friday Pattern Company stuff for me is oftentimes incredibly oversized because they they build so much ease in. Mm -hmm. And I sized down a little and I probably shouldn't have. It fits fine, but it's not the loose look that I wanted. So my next one, I'll, I'll... have to do in a larger size so I loved that and then I made the style art hope as a as a little shirt with a um ruffled peplum ah and I made it out of my white fabric with all the different people on it oh nice and the back of it is quilted and also has um a chain stitch on it that was done by friend of the show Kelly, Kelly that's awesome and they did such an amazing job on that embroidery it's right now temporarily at least my instagram profile picture is the back of that jacket and it says see you next tuesday and has a spool of thread and a needle and it's it's simply lovely um and and I've heard rumors that you too could make something out of a panel like this. Yes, you sent me one too. I'm so excited. I um that's going to take some thinking because that's that's a precious thing. And so I I either would make a bag or you know I've always wanted to make myself a denim jacket and that could be the back panel. Oh, it would be amazing as a back panel. I hesitated 
when I was doing it as to how to think about it for you, because I wasn't sure if a jacket with see you next Tuesday on the back was going to be your most exciting clothing item. And of course, the fabric is one I designed because I love it. It was not designed because you love it. And I wasn't oh, I sure it, if it was too wild. Uh-huh. It's, no, it's great. And actually, um, when Jim saw it, he was like, oh my God, this is so cool. He, he really liked it. I also liked thought it, it could be like a pillow cover, like a big. That's true, but the dogs would lay on it. Oh, you don't want that. Not with that no. chain stitch. No, no. I think it so. would be fabulous as a jacket back personally, but yeah. But that's just because that's how I used it. Now, I haven't cut mine up the front to make it into a jacket. I haven't decided if I am. Yeah. But I love it. And it has matching Calder pants. So I am a very overwhelming person in this because this is not a pattern that lets you blend. This is not a blending pattern on this fabric. No, (laughs) it kind of, though, the pictures of it look kind of... um, jumpsuity you know like a faux they jumpsuit do. so they do, but you can see my belly for sure if I oh you can because <laughs> it's a little bit a little bit cropped but I love it very much it makes yeah, me quite that's happy. really cool that's really cool. um I also made <laughs> the atlas by stitch Witch. now this is a this is a blouse I may have talked about before the atlas blouse is a round neck front top that is sleeveless and partially lined it's got a facing somewhat like the one on the ashton okay but on the back it has two swoopy pieces that cross over each other to the side Ah, seat and so you're left with the the um, fabulous triangle at the lower part of your back open Mm -hmm. and because they crisscross the way you do you really need a racer back bra or one of those things that pulls your bra straps in if you want them to be hidden right and i made that out of a um one of my dyed fabrics that i that i did one of my dyed linens now i've made this top before I have made this top before and thrown it straight in the garbage because, and I think this is my critical difference. First time I made it, my chest measurement was two and a half inches bigger. And it is only, it is only sized to that 52 inch chest, but that mm-hmm. means it's a free waist and a free hip because uh-huh. it's cropped. So right. um, I'm hoping they'll update the sizing at some point because realistically, even though it's designed to that, it did not look right on me. It looked absolutely, I, I could not get it to even lay properly at all. Mm. Um, and technically probably could have used an FBA. I see. I had no idea how to put one in. Um, and then I self-drafted a skirt to go with it. Oh, nice. Because I was going to make it a dress and it didn't work. Then I took, here's for my my PF Scrappy. I need you to tell me if this counts. And keep okay. in mind... It also will inform how others feel about whether they can do this and have it count. Oh, so I had a maxi dress that I did not wear and gave to my daughter. And she said it wasn't for her either and gave it back. (laughs) And, and instead of selling it because I didn't want to, I love the fabric in it. I cut it off and made a crop top. Yeah. I am arguing that that is scrappy because I'm refashioning. It's true. I mean, I think the way that I originally wrote it was just that it has to have at least one piece of non-virgin fabric. And this is so not virgin. It has washed enough to have some pilling. Um, And I'm going to take the bottom piece and make a skirt out of it because she would wear a skirt. 
but the crop top is is so cute. This is fabric that I um, I had written to. There's an Instagram user called um, Liberal Jane who does a lot of illustrations from a feminist perspective and a queer perspective. And they had an illustration that I loved that was mermaids for uh, mermaids against misogyny, and it's <laughs> a, you know, a, a mermaid. And I thought it was super duper cute. And I wrote to them and said, Hey is there any way I could buy the ability to make myself something out of this? And they said, yes, they, they didn't even let me buy it. They just gave it to me. Nice. And so I made enough extra fabric to make them a t-shirt. Oh. And so, you know, so it was a nice little trade, but I loved it so much. And it wasn't something that they were prepared to offer in that way. So it was very exciting to me. And then <laughs> I made the Veronica Hope dress. Have you ever heard of this one? Hmm. I don't think so. So I don't believe I've put a picture up of it yet. This is the, I was looking for, I had written users through my stories or whatever way you communicate with people on Instagram and said, I need a knit fabric dress. That's going to be my summer knit dress to help me out. And it needs to be work appropriate because the Aronica, which I love, and I've made quite a few of at this point, they're not for, for the offices I work in. There's too much Mm -hmm. skin in clothes. And somebody had recommended pattern division and their knit dresses. And when I looked at the one that they recommended, and it, it didn't strike me as for me, but there was a different one called the Veronica Hope. Now, the Veronica Hope is a dress that it gives you, I think, three or four sleeve options. Um, but all of them start with a, a, a long, almost grown-on semi-sleeve. Like, it's a very wide shoulder seam mm-hmm. on them. And all of the dresses are... Up to a certain size, they are designed for you to cut out the body in one piece that you will seam up the front. Okay. So it's gonna, so you're gonna cut out a shape that's like shoulder seam, underarm, shoulder seam, oh. neck, back neck, and then you're gonna sew up the front and top stitch. Okay. And that's gonna be your garment, right? Okay. Now, I think I've size, heard of this before. Yeah. Well, at my size, it's not that's not going to happen on one piece of fabric, <laughs> right? Because there, it may have negative ease, but it doesn't have that much negative ease. And once you take the selvage off, you're, I mean, it's pretty distant. So they offer an option for cutting it out and seaming straight up the back as well and top stitching there. And that's what I did. And I did that again out of some knit fabric that I got from Dharma Trading Company that I dyed myself. And I really loved it. Um, I did the petal sleeves, which I didn't care for. Next time I'm going to do like the elbow length sleeve. I think I'll like that better. Uh-huh. Um, and it has options for putting fisheye darts in the front or the back. Okay. Right. So there's just, there's right. so many choices yeah. around it. And I think it is really a pattern that I could go with. Now I didn't put the darts in because try not to be surprised by this. I didn't want to mark them. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to skip them on this one. And I actually liked it. It looked great. I wasn't okay. bothered by the lack of dartiness. Right. Right. Um, I may try the darts again on the, on a future one, but for the, the first one I did it without, I do like it. I'll return to the pattern and I'll probably look at pattern division to see what else, what else they've got going on. And then beyond that, I did some sewing that was sort of that obligation sewing some things that are being, um, released soon where I was either doing a test or I was doing final project photography and things like that. One of them I'm really excited about when it gets released because I did it in undyed linen Mm. and I took pictures like that. And once they release it, I'm going to dye it again and then 
do pictures like that as well. Cool. Cool. So yeah. So that is pretty much what I did. It was a great retreat. I highly recommend getting on the mailing list for, um, for top stitch Atlanta. And if there's an opportunity for a retreat after I've got my retreat space, going ahead and signing up. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I I didn't make as much as you, but you made a lot. You really did. I've made a few things. I did something. Now, this hasn't been posted on Instagram yet, even though I made it a a while ago. I made a PF scrappy dress, and this definitely counts. And um, it needs a little work, though. Okay, so what it is, is I made the Elizabeth Suzanne Georgia dress, and I made it into a abstract version of uh, of a picture. So I've put in the show notes the picture of the dress as well as the picture it was based on. The picture is of the the exact location of where Jim and I got engaged. And so I sort of extracted out, okay, there's like a sand and then there's water and then there's clouded sky and then there's a tree in there. And I kind of made those shapes in my mm-hmm. mind or whatever. So I laid out the pattern. I, I traced the pattern so that I'd have a fresh piece of paper and I drew those lines, how I saw them. And then I cut them out and I just added seam allowances where, yeah. where it needed to be. And I made sure that it would line up the front and the back on those places so that when I, you know, it wasn't completely different. I could have done the black all in one solid color too, but I wanted it to kind of scoop around like that. Um, and it came out really nice. Uh, so I used, let's see each one of the, none of that fabric is the same, uh, is this even the same fibers? Uh, there's a, the Brown on the shoulder is a linen rayon. Oh no. Yeah. Linen rayon blend. And then the, the cloudy looking part that's the sky is a nanny Eero double gauze. And then the blue part that makes for the water is a linen and cotton blend. And then the sand on the bottom is a pure linen. So the problem is, is that the, the double gauze pulls a little bit because it, it just, it looks okay in the picture, but on, it feels a little weird because yeah. it's that, especially it's that blue, it's, it's, it's too heavy pulling down yeah. on it. So I think what I might do is get, put some light blue linen there and then make strips like of the, of the double gauze that are appliqued on because yeah, I really lovely. love the effect of the double gauze because it has that cloudy look to it, but I don't think it's the right material. Yeah, I, I looked at it and I, I agree with you. I think you're probably right. That is where the issue is. It does, of course, make me want to take some of my cream linen and immediately dye you clouds. But yes. <laughs> well, I but, almost used some that you had given me that was, um, but it had too much other colors in it. But I was yeah. going to, it, it, that would be actually a really cool idea. So anyways, that's the one thing I made. Um I've already posted on my Instagram an Ashton top that I made that matched the resort wear shirt that I made for Jim. And we went on the town with these matching outfits. Now, and this is not subtle. This is um, very loud fabric. And people were looking at us everywhere. We happened upon, so it was for our anniversary dinner. And we like to go to the bookstore 
And that's in a neighborhood called Hamden. And they were having a special festival called Hunfest. And so Baltimore Huns, if you haven't heard about them, you should look them up. They're women with the beehives and all that. If you've seen the show, the movie Hairspray, mm-hmm. that's kind of idea on that. Um, anyway, we happened upon Hunfest. And so there's lots of people there. And they sort of probably assumed that we were dressed for that somehow. Yep. <laughs> and then we went out to dinner and we went to get ice cream down by the park and people were like, how did you get these? Like, they're wondering, how did you get these two shirts? They're not the same shirt. You know, it's not like we could have bought the same shirt. And so Jim, of course, told them that I made it. And so um, anyways, it was, it's fun. We love it. And we like to be kind of dorks and dress a lot. I, I love them. And my fabric is sitting here washed and staring at me. And I, I, I have the same thing and now I've got to figure out what to do with it. (laughs) It's so great because it's so lightweight. It's perfect for summertime. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, It's lovely. It's lovely. And I love how you match straight down to your shoes and toenails. (laughs) Yep. That's true. Um, And those are his Judd Newman sandals, his new sandals. Yeah. Is he loving them? Was there much of a wear in time? There's still a little wear in going on, I think. Um, And they, there's, the dye that's in the leather um, makes his feet kind of orange right now when he's wearing them, but they'll, that'll go away. And it's not toxic. Oh, well, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, they told him that. <laughs> so um, I also made another dragon fruit dress and this one is in this beautiful leaf print. It's like a Navy and blue turquoise. Somebody said it reminded them of cyanotype and it kind of does. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, and it's the same kind of fabric as that, as that other dress, that other shirt. Um, it's that nice co- light cotton voile. Oh, I had the worst thing happen. I went and I was sewing it and I go and I like when I, when I surge over um, a gathered yeah. skirt, I like to push that surged edge over and sew it down. Yeah. Cause I, I like that. And then I saw the the ladder of the serger and I'm like, what's this? So I go and I'm going to undo that part. And then I realize there's a huge hole. Oh, like no. all the way from like ha- from the center point all the way almost to the almost the whole bot- front bodice. So I had and it was quite a ways up. So I had to re-sew that. So the front's a bit shorter than the back, but nobody's noticing really. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. yeah, it's just my own issue, but I got that done. And I'm sorry. Then, that's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and it was just such a dumb mistake. I'm like, why? Um, <laughs> and then I made two more versions of the Soho seven free range slacks and the I made one that's pants and one that's shorts. The shorts ones are based on the tapered leg version, and the pants ones are the the wide leg version. I made both of them with this textured cotton that I got from Core Fabrics. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with this. It's lightweight, but it's like it's lightweight in that it's like nice and cool, but it definitely feels like you. It's perfect for pants. It doesn't feel too lightweight for pants, and really, really love them. Eat so nice to sew with. Um, really, uh, I, I really recommend that. So, um, I, I linked it in the show notes as well. Okay. So here's another thing I learned on my retreat 
I think I want to wear some shorts this summer. I I don't know that I've worn shorts in any consistent way in at least 20 years. Wow. Maybe more. But I, on my way there, I stopped because I had a little time to kill at Old Navy mm-hmm. and picked up uh, two pairs of shorts. And then I wore them because I, because I bought them and it felt like that meant I should wear them. Right. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, and I wore them and I liked them. So I think that means I should make some shorts. I think so. And so I've got to start exploring what patterns would be appropriate for shorts for me. That's got to be one of my next. And I don't think shorts are always as easy as here's a pants pattern. So make it into shorts. I I think you're right on that. But there's a lot of pants patterns that come with shorts with it. A good one for that too, like the Pietrish pants, they come with actual shorts version of it. Now, one thing I did discover, and I don't know how true true it is, is that I don't I don't necessarily want full on elastic, mm-hmm. but I don't mind if it's not too baggy to have some elastic at the back. You know what I mean? If it doesn't leave you with too full an ass, like I would want a dart. I maybe. think you ought to look at the Pietra pants because okay. they're they're a half elastic waist, yeah. and um and. It looks very, it, it, it definitely uh, is not too baggy. At least, well, it's not too baggy on me and I don't have much of a butt. So it definitely is. <laughs> um, I don't think that they're too baggy. There. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll take a look because I surprised myself by thinking, I mean, I think I could wear shorts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we'll see. But um, I, I've begun to really like tops, which means I have to have something to wear them with. There you go. I got to make choices there. Well, awesome. I think you did some amazing stuff. I'm really glad to see you back on the making so much stuff bandwagon. And I'm excited to see what you do next time. So I bet we've got some suggestions because first off, it's Taco Tuesday. Oh my gosh. Which means we get to look at the new taco patterns and uh, just want to make a note. We forgot to mention about our, our sponsors this month. We've got fiber and cloth for the iris pattern, Jennifer Lauren handmade for any of their PDF patterns. And there are so many and warp and weft textiles with that hundred dollar gift card. Yay. And of course, warp and weft is my favorite source for taco magazine. If I'm going to buy the physical copy, that's right. I do- prefer to just download the patterns I want because because while I enjoy the articles, they're wonderful. I will never trace them. And it would annoy me to buy the magazine and then have to buy all the stupid PDF patterns. So that's true. That's true. Now I have not looked at the magazine yet. I just saw the show notes and, and you also had sent me this picture of this dress. I, I think I'm going to love this dress. It's called the Hepla dress. And it looks like it's essentially just like, uh, you know, very boxy, but then pleats form the structure of the front. The back, it doesn't look like that. It looks like it's, it's just got like a tie at the back or something, which I'll probably sew up. Um, But it's, it looks like it's just the front that has these pleats. I I agree. And I'm not sure if there's some subtle shaping in the back because it's a two piece back, which means there may be shaping at the center seam or the side seams may have some shaping, 
Because I guess those are actually darts, right? Those aren't pleats. Um, yeah, those are going to be. I think they're darts, but they're but they're open on both ends. Yeah, but it's which not is kind like- of pleats sideways, right? I mean, because they're happening I mean, in the middle. They're happening at your your like waist area or high waist. That's true. I guess what I think of pleats, I think of it just kind of tacking down at one point, not being a long thing. Yeah. Well, okay. So some pleats are tacked down as a long thing. Oh, I, so I make a lot of pleated skirts and dresses that have that as part of the feature. It's not always the feature. Okay. So right? I and always think of those as dark when they do are that. Very clearly pleated and they have long tacking. Okay. Right. I mean, cause they're, yeah, I guess flat. if it, but if the, if the foldy part doesn't go beyond where the stitching is. Well, yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's not, it's not tacked down in that regard on either end. So I, I, I don't know. I would still call them pleats, but they are whatever they are. Whatever they are. For me is that this reminds me of a dress I wore all the time when my kids were very, very young. Mm. There was a, a Vogue pattern for a dress with a round neck and with grown on short sleeves that had for all of its shaping was just pleats in the front. Mm. And I bought it because even though it wouldn't fit my body, I just moved it in from the middle fold line and made my pleats bigger. Yeah. And, and it was fitted, right? This isn't, this is in no way fitted, but it was the same concept. Yeah. Right. Of bringing in at the waist through the use of depth of pleat or dart or whatever in the front. I and think it's, it's called pleats. Yeah. It's super duper cute. I would make the neckline a little lower. Me too. And I would definitely either not leave the back neck open or I would put um, a uh, a snap there. Yeah. I, I think I'll make the, the front, definitely I'll make the front a bit lower and not have anything just sew up the back. Um, but I, I think I will love that, that, that look, and it looks so comfortable, doesn't it? I was a hundred percent certain you would love it. And it's the sort of thing where if you make it and do love it, we'll have to talk about what linen fabric I can send you dyed for it. Cause that would be fun. That'd be um, great. The other, there are two other patterns I want to feature. Um, one of them is this, this flipping amazing Irma cuffs and collar. I don't even know how to feel about this, except that I love it. This is like a super structural, um, flowy, um, Victorian almost. I, yeah. mean, I don't even know, but I'm loving that cuff uh, collar concept for fall and winter as a way to add warmth to a garment that doesn't have enough of a neckline. I just, to me, I look at that and I think, what if I lined it in flannel and <laughs> it feels, it feels wonderful. Yeah. Or like the cuffs are a little bit out there, but they're cute. I just don't know what I'd do with them. Yeah. That neck thing, you know, thinking of it as sort of a scarf, you know, yeah. uh, lined with minky or something would be, could you imagine how soft? Yeah. Yeah. The other one I want to mention, I haven't put a picture in yet, but I'll go back and add it, is that there is an asymmetrical skirt that is done by, uh, where the pattern was originated by a friend of the show, Chris Woods. Oh, so it's a Chris Woods nice. sews pattern, which means it is the one pattern you're going to get out of the magazine where you don't have to trace anything <laughs> because it's done by measurement Yeah, and measuring the size of the fabric. And so I was really excited when I saw on Chris Woodso's uh, Instagram page that they had provided that pattern. That's awesome. That was just very exciting to me. Okay. I have a few that I put in as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not from Taco. This is from another source. This is the first one. So I keep these um, in my phone. Like when I see a new pattern, I keep. And so it's like by episode, I keep a little notes. So this first one is from Hey June Handmade. It's called the Marseille Dress. I think that's how you say that. Mm -hmm. And it goes up to a 63-inch hip. It's very reminiscent of the hinterland dress, I would say. I would say so. Yeah, it is a dress with a a sleeveless bodice. And um, it buttons up the front the whole way. And it has a gathered skirt on it. Um, It's a simple She's uh, she's wearing it with uh, Birkenstocks and a hat, and it just looks casual. Very cool summer. Very much my style. And it feels really linen-y, too. Um, yes. It's like something that's just meant for linen. Yeah, it sure um, does. Yeah, not in any way my style, but it it is lovely. And, of course, going to that 63-inch hip is great. Yeah. So this next one is, um, it's called Make by TFS. And it's the May Jean. And that's um, the fabric store in um, New Zealand. So that's their, their um, I guess, their pattern company. And they've made jeans that have a max hip size of 63 inches. And they're a very sort of plain, um, uh, high-waisted jean with, um, yeah. that's, that's loose-fitting. Looks just really comfortable to me. It really does. It's got... Um, I mean, to, to me, it kind of looks like mom jeans, which is exactly the kind of jean I'm looking for. Um, looks super cute. They do have a, a plus size model that they do show it on as well. Um, not a, not from what I can tell to the max range of the pattern, but a, a plus size model and a straight size model. Um, they've got a sew along going for it as well. So you can get some additional information. And of course, it's drafted for a five foot seven woman. So um, I'd have to go down a little in height. You'd have to possibly increase height depending on Probably. how they've, you know, how they've managed that. And of course, um, I know I've done a little bit with, and you've done some with Ithaca Mavens, um, top down, center down, top out. No, wait. <laughs> anyway. Top begin, down, yeah, center out. Center out. There you go. Um, uh, fitting concept as well. And this would be, uh, looks like a fairly straightforward pattern for being able to get that opportunity to, to do some fitting as well. So that's wonderful. Now the next two, um, the next two are definitely for people in Northern hemisphere who are experiencing summer right now, both closet core and Tilly and the buttons have come out with swimsuits and they both have bikini versions and one piece versions of them. I think the um, closet core, which is called the face swimsuit, it has a maximum size of 60, 53, 63, and it's more sporty looking, right? Like it looks like exercise kind of swimming. It sort of does, but I will say that Sarah from the Kirby Pattern Database was at the retreat I was at mm-hmm. and is one of the pattern testers for this and had a version of the swimsuit on. And it just looked adorable. Well, I know, well, I didn't mean it's not adorable, sporty, but it didn't look sporty. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Her, it did not look sporty. Instead it just looked super cute, but it's it's fabric choices, I would guess. Yeah, so if sure. you use something that's more traditionally going to have been seen in a swim lane, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, throwing the beach ball over the thing, it probably looks sportier. I agree with you. It's a, it's a, it's a more spare look. Yes. Whereas the Tilly and the Buttons one has ruffles around the neck 
Um, and, and he doesn't have to, like, I think that's all sort of, you know, options on this. Um, I love the, um, tilling the buttons one is max size of 60, 53, 61. And, um, they have nice diversity in their models. Both of them do, um, for their swimsuit models. Um, and that can also be a bikini or a one piece. So the back on the closet core one, yes. the back of the tops and things, they've got some really narrow straps, but that can go in some interesting ways, which I, I think that. is part of, for me, because I saw the swimsuit in action, yeah. gave me a, a better picture of some of the things that might happen yeah. as you're wearing it that are less 40. It is super adorable. But of course, as you point out, I mean, ruffles are always going to win for me. I, I completely I love actually, the chili and the buttons, Coralie. Yeah, I really like uh, ruffles on a swimsuit. I do like that. That's where uh, I really like that. I think it's super cute. I'm torn between the the one piece versus the two piece because I always pick a two piece because it's just easier to go to the bathroom. Um, and I never feel like I'm being split in two. But the one piece is super cute with the ruffles. And in the case of uh, the closet core swimsuit, the one piece, the way that the straps, there are several different options for how to thread those straps in the back and they're all, they've all got something to recommend them. So these are great swimsuits. I agree. Yeah. And I'm looking for another swimsuit pattern. I love the two that I've done the most of. So the Nautilus by, um, Oh, paprika patterns and Mm -hmm. the Ipswich by Cashmerette. Um, but I, I think what I like about both of these is they look a little less structured, like my Ipswich is nothing's going to move. It's very good mm-hmm. at making sure if I jog down the beach, which seems super unlikely that everything will stay in place. Uh-huh. And I prefer a swimsuit that's maybe got a little bit more of a risk factor. So. Oh. <laughs> okay. So I, I think both of those are wonderful, but our topic for today, one of the things we wanted to talk about in light of PS Scrappy was sort of vintage fabrics or vintage textiles and sewing. Yeah. And and there's a lot of different ways to kind of come into it, but because I do a lot of thrifting and my daughter does a lot of thrifting, I often have things in the house that I'm thinking about reusing or refashioning or just, you know, cutting up and some would argue destroying or desecrating. Um, for example, in my living room right now, I've got three granny square afghans mm-hmm. that I would like to make one of them into a skirt. I would line it. Mm-hmm. But it'll, there'll be cutting involved. I'll mm-hmm. cut it and I'll line it and I'll make a skirt out of it. And one of the others I'd like to make a jacket out of. And I haven't figured out the third yet. But, you know, is it, a, is it okay? What would, what would you feel if, you know, you realized that somebody was walking down the road in the Afghan that you had made <laughs> because they'd made it into a skirt? You know, I think, uh, I think people have different perspectives on this. And part of it is how they think about objects in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised in a military family. We moved all the time. I don't have the same attachment to objects that other people do. I don't find them to be precious. If I made something for my kid and they wanted to change it and make it into a scarf or something, it wouldn't hurt my feelings. So I have a different kind of perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I don't know. I think it's an interesting discussion that people are having about that. Um, I definitely think there's a place for, you know, for things to be preserved. And, and I definitely think if you love those things and you don't want them to be used that way, you should never do that. You should just keep it. Um, but 
once you surrender it to goodwill, I can do what I want with it is my opinion. But yeah. And, and I can see, I can see both sides of it because I've definitely come across things where when I looked at them, I honestly didn't buy them because I thought somebody should buy that. That's going to reverence it instead Mm -hmm. of, instead of me (laughs) where I'm, I might, but I also might not. I mean, I can promise you if I buy an antique quilt, it's going in the washing machine. So mm-hmm. I'm not the right answer for a lot of those. And I know I'm not because mm-hmm. I, I do, as someone who's quilted for 40 years, I, I do see that there's, there's a reason to hesitate and, and, and make a, make a decision about what you're doing. If you're, but you know, but I'm not going to judge what someone else does for me. I have to hesitate. I have to say is, is the way I'm planning to repurpose this garment appropriate for the condition of the garment? Is it something I really think I'm going to want? Or am I just, you know, what the heck, I'll just swipe it up and see what happens. Or Mm -hmm. is there a a difference there to me? And while I started to sort of explore this, of course, the, we're going to have show links to um, Mary Fonz, who's the uh, daughter of the original, I think it's Mary Ann maybe, but it's something or another Fonz of Fonz and Porter, which is a big quilting pattern company and later on fabric and uh, like charm packs and things like that. They sell a lot of stuff related to quilting rated things. Posted a video maybe six months ago that essentially said it is never okay to turn quilts into clothing and use some language that felt inflammatory to some members of the community talking about it as cultural appropriation where the culture in this case would be quilter culture, which isn't, isn't really typically what we would expect or mean by culture. It felt to me sort of like elevating that question and and diminishing maybe the importance of some other cultural appropriation. That's like super definitely not okay. As opposed to, you know, do you cut up a quilt? Quilters aren't a culture unto themselves from my perspective. And so we got a link to that video and there's definitely been, a lot of conversation about it, much of it critical of the language used, even when someone feels supportive of the idea that quilt shouldn't be clothing. Um, and then a, a whole bunch of other folks who fall exactly where you do. You know what? If you find a quilt in the wild, it's your your quilt now and you get the choices of how you wish to use it, whether it's to line a dog cage or turn it into a beautiful jacket. Um, I thought one article that was really wonderful uh, was one by Seamwork, and we're linking to that as well, called A Living Garment When Quilts Become Clothes. And it talked about it from both directions. Um, the author of the article had a quilt that they had purchased and were thinking about turning into clothes and ultimately weren't able to cut it up and turn it into clothing. But they they thought about it from the perspective of, if am I looking at it? How am I looking at this object and how I'm interacting with it relative to the original quilter? So am I entering into a collaborative experience where I've got this quilt that has this damage or because quilts, some can wear like iron, but plenty of them, I mean, they don't. You wash them and love them enough. There's there's going to be worn away spots, et cetera. Am I looking at it from a perspective of how can I carry this forward? How can I collaborate with this long gone, known, never known to me quilter and turn it into something that continues to be useful versus am I taking something that has still has value as a quilt and turning it into something that could be made without destroying a quilt without making that choice. Right. And I thought it was interesting, a little bit nuanced. And I I don't know exactly where I land. I feel like it's whatever Supreme Court justice said that they knew porn 
what porn was when they saw it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know how to define when it's right and when it isn't, but I know when I'm out there with my eyes looking at what I find, I know there's a line where I don't feel like I can cut the quilt up. So mm-hmm. I often won't buy it because I will not treat it right in my home. I know that already. I don't have the kind of space to curate that, but I don't feel comfortable bringing it into my home to cut up. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's a good point. And I also think, um, so for example, I have a quilt from my grandmother and no matter whatever happens, I'll never, I'll never ever cut it up because my grandmother made it. My, I was very close with my grandmother, but I certainly wouldn't let it end up in a goodwill. And if it did, I wouldn't blame someone who did cut it up because to them it's a textile. Yeah. And I would rather if it did end up in a goodwill, that it ended up being someone's coat than it ended up being in the landfill. Right. Which is the, the other place. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I do think that things can have sentimental value can have real value. You know, I mean, I think, um, but, and I also think I will, anything that I have like that, that I've made that I think is important that no one ever do something with, I'll take care of it myself. I don't think it's fair to give someone a gift and expect them and, and have it be an obligation. Oh, for uh, sure. You know, when I give, uh, something that I've made to someone, it's not their obligation to me to take nope. it. If, if my mom throws that shawl in the, in the washer, I'll be disappointed because she won't have the shawl anymore because she wouldn't be doing it on purpose, but I won't be angry with her. It's not, um, it's okay. Once I've released it, it's hers. And, um, and so, you know, that's my perspective on it. Also in my family, my grandma made quilts, but they were always functional. We didn't ever hang quilts on walls in, um, in my grandma's family. They're, they're put together. They don't have this fancy of, stuff. It's, they're tied. And they were my, um, my dad and my aunt Pam's old baby clothes and stuff that were used for it. So by its nature, it was a reuse product, um, itself. So maybe that informs how I feel about reusing something. So, and I think there's, there's a piece of it that it's a little bit harder maybe for us to identify, I've never come across a quilt in a quilt shop and a an antique shop or a you know, thrift store where I thought, Oh my gosh, that's probably of historical significance. It doesn't right. mean I've never come across one that was, exactly. but nothing that I could immediately identify. I do have a link to the G's Bend quilts, which are a series of quilts made by black quilters during the early to mid part of the last century. And looking at those quilts, they are, they are amazing works of art that are built off of often very sturdy fabrics used for clothing and other purposes and then repurposed into a quilt. I don't know that I'd be able to identify a quilt like that, right? And there there are things that I think we do risk losing if if people aren't careful about what they're doing. The other thing that I think it's worth mentioning is that the original the original video, while it stated never any clothing at all should be made out of quilts, what stirred up the ire was high-end designers buying pristine quilts that are are quite old and turning them into very expensive clothing. And yeah. there was there was also an additional sort of classist and other 
other types of complaints that are sort of loaded and built into that. Yeah, they probably weren't talking about the stained quilts that we find at the Goodwill. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, I think that's 100% true because there hits a place. But I was just thinking about it. The, uh, of all the quilts that I've made, I've made um, one, two, three, four, five that I would consider really important to me. And all of those aren't in my possession. I gave them away, mm-hmm. but they're really important to me. <laughs> and I see the puppy agrees. Yeah. They're important <laughs> to my too. But they're very important to me and they are not in my care. And so of course it's completely legit for the people who own them to do whatever they wish to with them. But when I gave them away, I did say, if you ever don't want this, I, w- I would like it back. This is really important to me and I'm giving it into your care because it's important to me and you're important to me, right? Right. And I know that for me, they're all family related. My father, before he died, when he was teaching um, at the universities, which I guess he could only do before he died, um, he used to wear a different necktie every day to teach. So he had a thousand neckties easily. And when he was sick, I took those to my local quilting guild and we, we batted, not batted them. We, um, we put stabilizer on the back of them because mostly ties are cut on the bias. There were a couple that weren't, which is super weird, but mostly they're cut on the bias. And we, we fussy cut out the emblems, the things you could see on them that were important. Mm. And we built them into a quilt for my brother and my sister and for my father. And um, many, many years. and paid them to make one for me because I couldn't do it. Uh, it turns out you can't really fussy cut through tears. So it wasn't an option. Um, but those quilts that I gave my brother and sister and my dad, um, I, I would hope would find their way back to my care since neither of them have children for mm-hmm. them to be passed on to, but I don't know that they will. My father's quilt, I know well. Everybody's aware that one comes back to me. So when I think about that one that is so important to me, yeah. Um, I don't know what will happen to it down the road. I know when it returns to me, one of the first things I will do is cut it in half because I have two children who love my dad very much and I don't want them to have to decide whether to cut it in half later when I go. And so Mm -hmm. I want to cut it in half to begin with and now have established two quilts because that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. But I think, I don't know what my, like what my spiritual essence would feel about that being made into a jacket later. Right. I, I guess glad that they were using it, that they were finding it useful. But at the same time, I and mine's not of historical importance, but it, you know, part yeah, of it's me emotionally is important. Yeah. I mean, I see what you mean. I guess um I think that's um probably where it comes down to is that I'm not gonna find something in goodwill that's emotionally important to someone or it wouldn't have ended up there. I um, hope not. <laughs> I mean, I guess there could be mistakes could be made, but yeah. So I think that probably there's be a lot of people that disagree with me on this and um, that's okay. But um, I think that uh, it's, it's a very interesting topic. 
I, I agree. And I, I land in super conflicted spaces. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably going to take those based on the colors and the, you know, high quality acrylic yarn, um, granny square quilts and make them into something. Yeah. I, I almost certainly am. On the other hand, I say that they've been out there for three months and I haven't even moved them into the sewing room. So I've, I've definitely got some conflicted feelings about it, um, no matter how you look at it. The other thing I wanted to bring up just sort of quickly is table and kitchen linens as fabric, something yes. that had not quite occurred to me, but I did find an account that we've got an image of called Four Birds Nest, where they make, they've made a pair of shorts out of towels, like one of those 70s mushroom dish towels. And it looks, it is flipping adorable. And it's, yeah. and the rest of the short is terry cloth, which to me says, you found all the towels that are in my bathroom right now that were my grandma's <laughs> because I have those, but like that are no use to me because what yeah. are you doing with them? They're threadbare yeah. in so many spaces. And you, again, you sort of hit a thing. In this case, you're talking about commercially produced items from the past that probably have flaws and stains. But even if they don't, they're commercially produced items from 50 years ago because mm-hmm. we're talking about the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, and I, don't, I don't feel a lot of regret about that. To me, I look at that and I think that's an awesome way to use yeah. something that doesn't have a lot of utility otherwise. Well, that um, brought something up to me when I saw that, which is something that I was a part of, actually. There is a project on Instagram, and the account is called the Tiny Pricks Project, and it is... (laughs) (laughs) It is... Uh, I submitted some artwork for it. Um, the formal part of the project is over now. Um, Diana Weimar, Weimar was um, collecting people's work. Um, she started it out using vintage handkerchiefs, napkins, whatever she found in thrift stores or were given to her that she had or whatever. And she um, embroidered on them. And she does this all the time. She's very prolific with it. But she requested that people send them to her, that things that they made. And so I sent her, I believe one of the ones that I made, I sent to her. Um, and they, a, a lot of things are quotes from Trump, responses to him. And I think the account is hilarious and it's also a way there's something about seeing this vintage fabric, like this sweet little doily hanky with the words, I grabbed her by the pussy or something on it. And it just makes you really realize how obscene it is, what he said. And so it's definitely a really interesting form of art to me. I I love that project. I, yeah, and they do also have a space at tinypricksproject.com yep. where you can go off and look for it and literally just um, just searching on, doing an image search on Google for Tiny Pricks Project brings up so much of the the specific um, the specific art that was a part of it. They had over 3,600 um, pieces sent to them and many of them are, are just completely amazing. Yeah. Just you, you look at them and think, I wish I was that creative. Although I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners look at them and go, yeah, I'm not creative. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but I, I do, I do really, really love it. I'm thankful that you brought that up because I, I had not seen that. I'd never heard of that. And um, it makes me super happy that it exists. Yeah. So, so yeah. I like the idea of reusing textiles in that way. Um, I also like the idea of, um, you know, of, of using parts of those things. So for example, um, 
Oh, you had mentioned the Granny Square. Um, yeah. Uh, Afghan. But you can also, granny squares themselves are a fantastic way to use up scraps of yarn. And so True. you could make a granny square and put that on. I mean, they're pretty popular right now, the the image of a granny square. You could put that on the front of a bodice or something, and I think it would be lovely. Oh, look at that. This. That's from a vintage. It is. Cross-stitched tablecloth. It is. It is a tablecloth my mother made. Oh, wow. And you made it to a top. I made it into a top to wear at Christmas time. It's beautiful. Um, because, because there's no one in our family who dines in that way. Yeah. We, it's, it sat in a drawer for three years. My siblings all said they didn't want it. And so I made it into a top that I think is super cute. And even if I don't wear it, I actually think I would hang this. Like to me, I could hang this as a wall thing mm-hmm. and it would be a thing to have in a dining room. Or well, a- I actually think that that is showing more respect to that item than having it sit in the drawer and never get taken yeah. out. I mean, you weren't going to give it to a thrift store because your mother handmade yeah. it, right? She, you know, she, yeah. she did the cross stitching all over it. Wow. Uh, so that was kind of a fun thing I did. And I did cut into that. And yeah. um, and I have previously um, used handmade or hands embroidered tablecloths that I found to back quilts. And so I, I you know, the backing, the batting, the top of the quilt that I made. Mm-hmm. And I, I machine quilt the whole thing together and bind it. And I think it's a, it's a really neat backing to me. It's a lovely piece on the back. Um, and then the other thing that occurred to me when you're talking about reusing vintage textiles is that I buy vintage napkins and mm-hmm. I embroider them with things like eat the rich <laughs> and I give them as gifts because, yeah. because I know a lot of people who would love that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a fun, sort of a fun reuse of an item that may or may not be handmade, right? For the most part, the napkins I'm getting, they're just somebody, they're not hand rolled edges or anything. They're just, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of vintage thing that was sold in a retail situation for a long time. But even, even if they were, I mean, even if they were, they're things that I would reuse in that way too. Yeah. So conflicted, but, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot I think, of, I think the most important thing is to be thoughtful about it. Right. If you would, if I, I was to find even I, the soulless person that throws out <laughs> all her children's toys, um, even if, even I, if I found this quilt that I saw was clearly, you know, of historical importance, I'm not going to cut that up. I probably will buy it from the store to, to rescue it. Maybe, I don't know, but I, I can see a reason. I, I can see where there are times where you do not want to do that. So, so uh, hopefully this has been at least a little food for thoughty. Um, and, uh, we'd love to hear from y'all about what you what you think about the ethics of reusing textiles, whether commercially produced or hand produced, um, and where you sort of fall on that line. Cause I think it's I think even like looking at me, who's totally, you know, happy to say, yeah, of course you can cut things up, but then I come back and I'm like, but not my things. And also maybe my <laughs> mom's things, but possibly not the vintage acrylic monstrosities I have in my living room. I'm not sure. So <laughs> I, I, I don't have a lot of clarity is what I'm saying, but we appreciate you tuning in for this episode. We're really excited because there's 
um, another nine days of PF Scrappy left for you guys to to get in on it. And uh, we look forward to seeing yet more entries. That's right. And we've had a few new Patreon subscribers. Awesome. So if you would also like to support our show, please go to patreon.com slash punkfrockers. Absolutely. And don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get fine podcasts. Keeping in mind that a five-star rating helps others find us. And you can write anything at all you want in that review. Tips, complaints, criticisms, kudos. We'll be happy to share that with the world. See you you next Tuesday. The Punk Frackers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frackers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art. 